So Job chapter 2 is where we're going to be if you want to take your Bibles or your phones and turn there. But we've been in this series on the book of Job, and we have talked about uh, possible reasons for suffering and what Job was learning through all of this and, and how his world came crashing down. And I think one of the most difficult things for us to understand is we feel like if we, if we do good, like if we, if we do the things that we feel like God wants us to do, then we ought to be able to lead a good life. Like it just seems like that's the math, right? It ought to make sense. And so what we find so difficult to understand about the book of Job is that Job was upright and righteous and doing everything correctly. And he went through suffering. And what we learned is that sometimes bad things happen to good people. And that's really difficult for us. And I think what we're going to find today is that Job had some friends that struggled with that as well. And they tried to identify the cause behind the suffering And we have to be very careful about how we respond to people in our lives who are going through difficult situations. So the title of the message is With Friends Like These. And what I'm hoping to convey to you today is that there is is not necessarily a need for you to speak into somebody's life who is going through suffering that maybe we should let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit's trying to accomplish in their life. You still have to stay for the rest of the message. But that's about it. Job chapter 2, the last several verses, 11, 12, and 13, we see these three characters being introduced. And so to give a little bit of history, chapter 1, we saw that Job lost his 10 children, all of his livestock, all of his crops, all of his servants. All of this happens to him in one day. One message after the other gives him this bad news. He falls down on his face before God and he worships God. Chapter 2, as if that wasn't enough, Satan is then allowed to strike him with painful boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He's sitting in an ash heap, scraping himself with a piece of broken pottery to relieve the pain of the boils. He's in a bad place. And yet he still prays the Lord in all of this. And then in verse 11 of chapter 2, we are introduced to these three individuals who the Bible describes as the friends of Job. So let's begin reading in chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came, every one, from his own place. And here, here they are, great names. Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Neamathite. For they had made an appointment together, To come to, and check this out, this is why they came, to mourn with him and to comfort him. That's why they came. Then it says in verse 12, and when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they did not even recognize him. He had changed so much since the last time they saw him. They lifted up their voice and wept 
and rent everyone his mantle and sprinkle dust upon their heads toward heaven. I read this week that the tearing of their mantle, that, that, the, the, the shirt, exposed their chest. And the idea was that they were exposing their heart to the situation. Like we feel so much grief that it just, I need to just let you see my heart, how I feel. And that was a very typical response when people were mourning the death. And here verse 13 is interesting. So they sat down with him upon the ground, how long? Seven days and seven nights. And none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. This is known commonly in the Middle East as the practice of Shiva, S-H-I-V-A-H, which is the Hebrew word for seven. But the idea was it was a practice that they would come, and when there was a death in the family, they would just mourn with you for seven days. And so that's what we see happening here. It was a very common practice. And then in Job chapter 3, after this all happens, we finally see Job seeming human. Like, look what he says in chapter 1 of chapter 3, verse 1 of chapter 3. After this, opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. So they sat there in silence for seven days, mourning together. And then Job speaks, and then Job takes the next 25 verses. So verses 1 through 26, Job then spends that much time expressing his grief and his befuddlement over what God was allowing to happen in his life. And so just to kind of, we don't have time to read it all, so I want to kind of give you a bird's eye view of what happens over the next 20 chapters or so. So chapters 4 through 14, you have Job and his friends interacting with each other. They're trying to come up with explanations of why all this is happening, right? And Job is then refuting them because they're accusing Job of things and he doesn't like it because he knows what the truth is. And so chapters 4 through 14, you have the first set of exchanges between Job and his three friends. And then in chapters 15 through 21, you have the second set of exchanges where they all get to say something and then Job responds. And then in verses, uh, chapter, I'm sorry, chapters 22 through 26, you have a third set of exchanges. So you have a lot of chapters here of his three friends trying to explain why all of this is happening, trying to wake Job up as to what's going on in his life. And you have Job refuting what they say. And here's the thing. You have moments of wisdom. In the midst of what they're saying, you're like, huh, they got a good point there. Like you have moments of wisdom. Unfortunately, it's incorrectly applied. It's just not It's just not put in the right place. So I believe this. I believe they're trying to make sense of it all. And they're, but remember, here's the, what was the purpose of their trip? To mourn with him and comfort him. But then they spent 20 some chapters trying to explain to him why what was happening to him was happening to him. But that's where we're at, right? So we try to wrestle with the why when the what happens. 
And we have a hard time just letting God do what God's doing because we feel like we have to speak into the situation. It's like we feel obligated to say stuff when people are grieving. We feel like we have to help them understand what's happening to them. Why are we like that? Like we, are we trying to fix it? Or are we trying to just make ourselves feel better about what we're seeing happening in their lives? Because it doesn't make sense. So we are introduced to these three individuals. And let me kind of really generalize this. I mean, imagine taking 23 chapters and boiling it down to just three statements here. But this is a a big generalization. But Eliphaz accused Job of secret sin. Eliphaz felt like there's something going on in your life. And if you want to read more specifically, it's in chapters 4, 7 through 9, and chapter 22, verse 5. Like, that's where I got all of that from. So, that, so you see, like, he is saying there's got to be something going on in your life that has caused all of this to happen to you. The reason God is punishing you because you're sinning and nobody sees it happening. He actually said this, you have done great wickedness. So he accuses Job of this. And then Bildad accused Job of hypocrisy. And if you want to read that, it's in Job chapter 8, verses 6 and 13 is more specifically where it is. He was listening to the conversation between Eliphaz and Job, and he heard Job refute what Eliphaz was saying about secret sin. So he takes it up a notch and calls him a hypocrite. He says this, you seek God, but live like he doesn't matter. So your life is not backing up what you say. That hits home with a lot of us. And then Zophar accused Job of mocking God. And that would be Job chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. He listened to the first two going back and forth with Job and heard Job justify himself. And he couldn't take it anymore. And he finally said, your words and behavior mock God. Now, here's the thing. These guys got together to go help Job to the extent that they could. And I think the first seven days was their golden moment because they kept their mouth shut. Lesson learned, okay? I think when they just sat there and shut up, they were a bigger help to Job than when they try to figure out why what was happening to Job was happening to Job. But let's see what the problem was. God was not happy with them. He was not happy with how they treated Job nor how they characterized God. You say, where do you get that, Eric? Well, in Job chapter 42, the end of the book, Job addresses these three friends directly, and it says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job has. That's a pretty damning statement. So God is saying, you have not 
been a very accurate mouthpiece for me. Like, I didn't need your help. So here's the problem. They assumed they knew enough about God to speak for God. And what's more is they thought they knew enough about what God was doing that they can have an opinion about what was happening to God. Man, I hope you're hearing this. Like when God is working in somebody else's life and we feel like we get to say something about what God is doing in their life, like we understand what's happening, I'm just wondering if God would have the same words for us. You are not speaking well for me because you don't know what I'm doing in their life. So they may not be doing what you think they ought to be doing. Things may be happening in their lives that you can't explain, so you try to figure it out. Are you speaking in place of what God would like to say? That's a big deal. Because we only know a portion of their story. It's like, it's like you read a paragraph in a book, and you close it and form an opinion, and you know how this thing's going to end. Or like you walk through the living room while your wife is watching the Hallmark Channel. And you already know everything about, well, that's true. (laughs) It's about the big city lawyer who goes to the country and meets the coffee shop owner who has an ex and a puppy dog. And she's going to teach him what true love is all about. And as soon as they fall in love, the ex is going to come back in the picture. All right, so maybe we do know what the Hallmark Channel is all about. All right. But it's like you see one portion of somebody's life, and you saw a 30-second strip of what's happening, and you feel like you know their story before you met them and what God is doing in their life, and you feel like you know where God has taken this and where it's all going. Folks, we're not all that. Like, why don't we realize that we only know what we think we know, and we don't even know that very good. And the truth of the matter is, you got enough of your own stuff that you got to work on. My word. We feel so compelled to come up with an explanation of why people are suffering or what they're going through. And God just doesn't need the help like you think he does. So we assume like we know what God is doing in their life. But we only know what we know. And we don't even know that we don't know what we don't know. Right? That's deeper than you think it is. You don't even know you don't know it. You might be stepping into the scene of their life and making assumptions and forming opinions. It's amazing how our opinion changes when they're your kid. What's the difference? Pardon me. What's the difference? You know more of their story. When it's your kid, it makes a big difference how you respond to them. And you're going to wish that some jerk Christian would have kept their mouth shut. 
So maybe we should keep our mouth shut. That was free. Only God knows the whole story. So how about if we just let him take care of it? And here's the thing. He treats us very well. Now before a Pharisee begins to form an opinion about what I'm saying and says, well, there are times when we're... I agree with you. I agree with you. But it's nowhere near as often as you think it is. Because you know what I think? I think there's this ingredient that you don't recognize that's in your recipe, and it's called pride. And you think a lot of yourself, and you think a lot of the information that you've gathered over the years being a Christian, and you feel this desire and this want to have to share that with other people, and you're not really as interested in helping them as you are about correcting them. And that's not as needed as you think it is. When they came to spend time with Job, they came to mourn with him and to comfort him, and they ended up trying to correct him. And that's what got God upset. Because they're getting in his way of what God was doing. Because here's the truth. God is not careless with his children's suffering. So we shouldn't be either. So where did his friends go wrong? Very quickly, the truth was poorly applied. And there was some of what they said that was true. I don't believe Job had secret sin. I don't believe he was mocking God. I don't, I, I'm not saying that was true, but I think some of what they said was true. But here's the truth. Just because words are true doesn't mean you're right, right? Just because your words are truthful words doesn't make you right. So here's what God said in Job chapter 42. I'll remind you of that phrase. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right. Do you know the context? Do you know the situation? We make assumptions and we dispense truth that is misapplied and it just hurts. It's like giving a four-year-old a hammer. They don't know how to properly use that hammer and all of a sudden everything looks like a nail, right? And they do more damage with the hammer or, or a scalpel in your hands compared to a doctor. You'll do a whole lot more damage whereas the doctor, because he has the skill can apply that scalpel correctly and actually help heal somebody. You're not that. And you may have truth. But just because you have the truth doesn't mean that you are applying it correctly. Just because you own it, just because you read it, just because you believe it, doesn't mean that it can be applied the way that you're trying to apply it. Your view of the truth is biased on your experience and you don't even know that you're ignorant of some of the situations that those people are in. So just be very careful. The truth was poorly applied and second of all, their words were poorly timed. Damage occurs 
When too little is known and too much is said. Too often we speak prematurely. And just as a general rule, we use our mouths a lot more than we should. Could be why God gave us two ears and one mouth. Some of you have that backwards. I love this. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. I've, I've, I'm not sure what all of this verse means, but check out Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11. It says, it says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. I don't know that I need apples of gold, but it sounds nice. Right? Apparently, when this was written, this was a big deal. Okay? But the idea here is the front half of that verse. If you can figure out how to fit a word in. If you, can, if you can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, know how to say the right thing at the right time, it would be so valuable. That's what it's saying here. Like, like what you have to say would be so meaningful and so life-giving and so full of hope that it is applied correctly and God can use that to make big advances in somebody's life. But how often does that happen? A lot different than how we like to feel like, well, you know, well, it's true. And we feel like if it's true, it gives us the right to say whatever we want to say. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's like, how many times have you heard it? Well, it's the truth. Well, it's the truth. Yeah, and you're an idiot. And truth in the hands of an idiot, is like a hammer in the hands of a four-year-old. You're doing no good deed here. James takes it a little bit further. He says in, in James chapter 1 in the New Testament, he says, if any man among you seem to be religious and can't even bridle his tongue, like cannot even tell his tongue where to go and tell, tell his tongue what to do, if you can't, Keep yourself from saying the wrong thing. You're deceiving your own heart, and this man's religion is in vain or empty. Like what you got, your Christianity is not helping anybody. So just because you know the words to say doesn't mean you should say them. It's a pretty big statement here, but what we think they need to hear rarely needs to be said. I want to be clear. I'm not saying you should never say anything to anybody. I really, there are times when when somebody has given me a message that I felt came straight from God. They just didn't know it. But let me just boil it down to this. Transformation in our lives is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit and not a product of our advice. That's a heavy statement. Ultimately, God working in our lives is God's job, not ours. And just because what you have to say is true doesn't mean it needs to be said. So what are we supposed to do? I have a friend who's suffering. 
Or maybe I see something in their life that I think that would prevent them suffering. I get it. We want to help. And I believe that you have good intentions. So what do we do? And by the way, like I'm talking about what we say here. (laughs) I wrote this in here this morning. But facial expressions count. And body posture counts. And grunts count. Huh. You just said something. Right? Right? Like, you just communicated something. Because you didn't agree with their behavior, or you wish they were like that, or you really feel like if you tell them you're praying for this in their life. God help us to just love people and just treat them the way that, and let God do what God's going to do. So let me just give you this and we'll finish. Here's the best thing I think you can do most of the time. It's often best to sit and to listen and to pray. I think the first seven days they were with Job, that was their moment. That's what Job needed. I don't think that they did anything to cause God to treat Job any differently. I don't think they convinced Job to do anything different. I think that if they had just sat with him and listened to him and prayed with him, They would have comforted him, and they would have mourned with him. And that's what they needed to do. Just be very careful with your words and what you think you should say. And too often, there's some kind of a selfish motive in there because we're trying to figure out why this happened to them and then make a correction so it doesn't happen to us or or make us feel better about the sovereignty of God. Good luck with that. God's God, and God's going to do what God's going to do, and God doesn't need my help trying to explain it. He's just going to do what God's going to do. He's God, and I'm Eric, and i got to be okay with that. So my job is to help you and comfort you and to pray with you and to sit with you. That's how a friend helps a friend who's suffering. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example that you give to us, and I... I just admit that I am too willing to share my opinion. And I realize the older I get, the less I know. And I think that it's because I realize that there's a lot in life that I'm not made to know. And help us just to allow you to do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.